We are now in our second week of the book of Philippians. Uh, As a community, we're walking through this letter that Paul and Timothy sent to the church in Philippi. Uh, And the letter as a whole can be summarized by chapter 1, verse 6. The God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is the lens by which we are framing the letter. uh, And we're asking the question, what does it look like for God to bring about his good work in our lives between now and that day. Here's the big idea I want to look at this week in our text. God advances his gospel in us. He advances his gospel through us. He advances his gospel with us, and he even advances his gospel despite us. These are the four big ideas. God's gospel comes in us, it comes through us, it comes with us, and it comes despite us. So would you open your Bibles with me? We're going to look at three things, how God advances his gospel in us, how he advances his gospel through us, and how he can advance his gospel even despite us. So, chapter 1, verse 12, Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now imagine this, if you showed up to church next week and Mike came on stage and said, well, Alistair's in jail. I know some of you would be like, well, it's about time. Uh, others of you, you might be concerned. Yeah, like, what happened? Now if you imagine uh, being in the church in Philippi and you hear the founder of your church, Paul, he's imprisoned, you would be concerned. Most of all, you would be wondering about his well-being. How is he doing? Is he okay? Does he have people providing food and water for him? But you would also be concerned about Paul's identity and his mission. Paul's an apostle. His his whole life is built around going from city to city, proclaiming the message of Jesus. N.T. Wright, he captures this concern well. He says, For a traveling apostle to be put in prison must have seemed like a concert pianist, having his hands tied behind his back. Paul's in prison, and it would be easy to think, this isn't right. It would be easy to look at the situation and think that Paul had been humiliated. That was what the cultural implication of jail was. It would be easy to look at the situation and say the gospel has been fundamentally compromised by Paul's imprisonment. But Paul wants the church to know. Paul wants his brothers and sisters in Christ to know without a shadow of a doubt that his circumstances, as challenging as they may be, really do serve the gospel. And in doing so, Paul actually takes the focus off of himself. He wants the church to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus, not on him. Which is why Paul says his imprisonment has really served to advance the gospel. God has used even his imprisonment to bring forward the gospel. That is Paul's confidence. But that makes us wonder, doesn't it? How can Paul feel this way? How can Paul say this? He's in jail. All the scholars, uh, the way they describe ancient jail, they say it's a wretched condition, an awful place to be. You see, how we react to our own struggles in life, to less than ideal circumstances, uh, it shows a lot about what's actually supreme in our lives, and it shows how we actually think about God. When I get the flu, There's one word that best describes me. I believe the medical definition is man-child. You know, the 
the, the world, it falls apart, and I, I just stay in bed, and I bemoan my existence. I expect Julia to wait on me hand and foot, and I'll even ask God, like, God, why would you do this to me? You know, like, if you really cared, why would you let me get sick? Why don't you uh, revolve around keeping me healthy? Now, I know that's extreme, uh, and, but all of us know this. We know what it is to be in situations that make us seriously question God. Maybe you lost your job at some point. Maybe the engagement, it was broken off. Maybe you're in your own metaphorical prison of sorts. You've been in debt or you've been perpetually unemployed. Maybe you're facing chronic pain and illness. And maybe you start looking at these circumstances and you think, does God even care? Does God even see you? Maybe you even think God is punishing you. Because if God was present, if God was with you, surely your circumstances, they would be different. Surely your life would be going smoother. Surely there wouldn't be all these bumps along the way. Surely prayers wouldn't be going unanswered. And when we feel this way, it shows what is actually supreme in our lives and how we actually see God. Our comfort is supreme in our lives. Our our health is supreme. Our happiness is supreme. And, And God is a God who's supposed to serve and cater to our comfort. But Paul, in Philippians, he shows that he has learned that his circumstances are a part of God's larger ongoing story. The most important story to Paul is not his own. The story of Paul the apostle in prison isn't the big uh, story. Paul, he doesn't bemoan his circumstances. Now that doesn't mean he likes his circumstances. They're just not his focus. Because they're not the center of God's story. The center of God's story is is Jesus Christ uh, dying and rising. This is what Paul keeps his focus on. That's the only story that matters, the message of the gospel. And he wants to see how his life fits into this story and not the other way around. You see, the gospel has advanced in Paul's life in such a way that he sees himself in a totally different light. For Paul, what it means to be in Christ changes everything. Paul will describe his relationship with Christ in a few ways. He'll say, I'm a slave of Christ. I'm a prisoner of Christ. Which means he sees um, no right to have any claim of his life being his own anymore. Because his life is Christ's. Christ died for him. Christ freed him from sin. Christ purchased him. Christ redeemed him. He is Christ's. And because of this, Paul then sees his literal imprisonment just as a picture into his actual relationship with Christ. He's bound to Christ. And so he's bound to speak the gospel. If that means uh, he's in prison, so be it. If that means he's out in the cities, so be it. He has the freedom not to get caught up in his circumstances because he's caught up in the supremacy of the gospel. He sees himself caught up in a much larger story that God is unfolding in the universe. And so simply put, Paul has become decentered, And Christ has taken center stage in his life. Because the message of Jesus, that's what really matters. And that can be proclaimed anywhere. But how do we get there? Because that sounds really nice, but it also sounds really hypothetical too. I'm not about to tell you that the circumstances that you're facing are a walk in the park. I'm not even going to suggest that you need to suck it up and just power through. That's not what Paul's talking about here. 
We each have our own stories. And when we face situations, though, that we can't comprehend, or we, we have struggles or suffering in our life that makes us want to throw up our hands in frustration at God, something usually happens. We want to know a reason. We want to know a reason for it all. And until we do, we won't invite God into that space of frustration. But this desire to know a reason for it, to say, tell me why, God, it shows that we've remained center in our lives. We're attempting to make the gospel fit into our lives when we say, God, you owe me an explanation. Because we're living as if the universe still revolves around us. What we learn from Paul here in Philippians is that when the gospel advances in us, it doesn't guarantee an easy ride. It doesn't guarantee that life will go according to plan. We will still face suffering. It doesn't mean that the situation that we want to change, that we would do anything to change, will change. It doesn't mean that the pain will go away. It simply means that we allow Jesus to be Lord even in that place. That we allow Jesus to be Lord even in the anger or the questions or the pain and the tears. It's letting down our defenses in such a way uh, that we allow Jesus to enter in and show us how he's with us and how he remains Lord over us, even in those places. And as we do that, as we allow Jesus to show us how our stories fit into the gospel, the gospel takes us out of the center and Jesus takes center stage. And the gospel advances in us and it changes us. It changes our desires and sense of purpose. They begin to align with God's desires and purpose. And simply put, God is about advancing his gospel in the world and in his people. And so we find a a sense of purpose. We might not know the meaning, but we have a purpose. Of seeing the gospel advance even through our suffering. And this was Paul's experience. I think this is why he writes in Romans 8.28, For those who love God, all things work together for their good. I know this can easily become a platitude sewn into a pillow in a grandmother's house. I, I get that. I know that Christians can use this you know, memory verse as a band-aid to try to just push your suffering away. But we shouldn't lose sight of the profound truth of these words just because it's become a platitude in some circles. There is a deep truth that in Christ, no matter what you face mysteriously and ways that we can't comprehend, God uses those circumstances to bring about good. Good in your life and good in the world. There's a deep, deep truth. And so, as the gospel advances in us, as it becomes our all, it doesn't just change how we see ourselves. It doesn't just change how we see our place in the world. It also changes what we talk about as well. The gospel ends up advancing through us. And we get this. Uh, on the social media, uh, people, they generally share what they find important. Someone posted the, the other day, uh, what would be the hardest thing to explain about today to someone of the past? There's this little infographic, and it said, I have this little device that fits in my pocket, and on it I can access all the information known to humankind. 
And what I use it for is to post photos of cats and get in debates. <laughs> and, but it's true, you know, we, we, we post cats, but people also post the things that, that matter to them. You know, you'll hit a certain age where all you see on, on the news feed is photos of people getting engaged or getting married, or everyone has that friend. Like, all they post is photos of their baby. It's just all about their baby. And I hear that I might be that friend to some of you. You're welcome. And you've, you've seen a photo of Ansley, and over the past 10 months since she was born, like, maybe there's been, like, an excess of photos of Ansley, you know, flooding your, your stream. And... I, I hate to break it to you. I'm not going to stop doing it. Why? Because she matters to me. She matters to me. And I want to share her. I want to celebrate her. I want other people to relish in her with me. And we get this. Uh, generally, we talk about the things that matter to us. It can be the new girlfriend. It can be the new husband. It can be the new iPhone. It can be the new politician or the, or the latest scandal in the news, the new movie, whatever it is. We, we talk about the things that matter to us, the things that dwell in us, the things that capture our hearts and our affections. Paul, he believes that his imprisonment is really serving the gospel because he sees the gospel advancing through him as he shares the gospel with others, and he sees the gospel advancing through other believers as they share the gospel with others. And to Paul, people talking about the gospel is proof of the gospel advancing because of the simple truth. You talk about what matters to you. And when he sees the gospel advancing in his life, despite the circumstances, and, and in other people's lives, despite their circumstances, and that they still talk about Jesus, he has the confidence, yes, the gospel truly is advancing still. Look at verses 13. 13 and 14. It's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So we, we, we see two things. Uh, first, Paul sees God advancing the gospel through his own imprisonment. He says he's become, uh, he's, he's the whole imperial guard has become known about the gospel. That is 9,000 people. Paul uh, has been vocal while he's been imprisoned. If he wrote this letter from Rome, he has been put in prison because of preaching Christ. So he is literally imprisoned for Christ, but he also sees that as an opportunity to be imprisoned for Christ. He sees this as an opportunity to bring the gospel to uh, guards in the jail, to prisoners in the jail. He wants to make it clear that he's truly in chains for Christ, wherever he is. But second, and Paul says more importantly, other Christians see Paul in prison and they gain more confidence. Paul says they are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now this seems really odd. How would being in jail uh, encourage them? you know, to be more bold? How would seeing Paul in jail make them more bold? I, I wonder if, if we started seeing Christians in our city put in jail for the gospel, if, if that would be the result, or would we become more timid? You see, two things, though, happen when we see people uh, remain committed to the gospel despite their circumstances. First, we see the rubber hitting the road. We see that faith really does make a difference. The Philippians, in their culture, they're told that Paul has been humiliated. And yet his faith is unwavering. 
Despite wretched conditions, Paul continues to proclaim Christ, continues to find joy in Christ, and they could only conclude that Jesus really does make a difference. And I'm sure many of you know what this is like. You have a friend who who life just has beaten up, and yet they won't let go of the gospel. They won't let go of their hope in Christ. Many of you, you have watched loved ones die in painful ways. And yet they've held tight to the hope of Christ. And what happens? You're encouraged. You become more bold in your own face because you realize that Christ really does make a difference. That even if you were to face those circumstances, you have seen experientially how Christ is with them. So whether you are free or imprisoned, healthy or sick, you know Christ will be with you as well. Because you've seen it be true in others. But second, we also discover that God uses each of our situations, whatever they may be, to bring the gospel forward. Because the gospel advances in us, it advances through us, but it also comes with us. The, the, the gospel, it goes with Paul into prison. It goes with the person suffering from breast cancer into the cancer ward. It goes with the social worker into the foster care home. It goes with the lawyer into the courts. And it can't be overlooked uh, that God uses the experience uh, and and stories of each person uh, in the situations he places them in. You see, Paul, uh, God is using his experience of imprisonment so he can talk to other prisoners. Not hypothetically about how Christ meets them in imprisonment, But experientially, Paul knows. He's sharing an experience with them. He understands their suffering, and he shows them the gospel that way. He can relate to them. Which means whatever has happened in your life, good, bad, ugly, neutral, God uses those stories, those experiences, for the sake of the gospel in the circumstances he's placed you in. It doesn't, when we get caught up into the big story of the gospel, it doesn't mean that our individual and unique stories get lost. No, what happens is God uses those. And the gospel comes uniquely through you because as it comes through you, it also comes with you. It comes with your story. How you've suffered. How you've seen Christ show up. And and I've seen this to be true in our community. I've heard so many of your stories. And And honestly, sometimes I wonder how I would fare in that situation. Some of you, ongoing illness. Uh, Some of you, family members dying way too young. Eating disorders. Severe depression. And yet, you talk about Christ in those places. Not that everything gets fixed, but he's enough there. And it's encouraging. And to be vulnerable for a moment, um, just to show how how stories can bring the gospel in a unique and powerful way. I want to share a little bit of my my story. Uh, I, as a child, was sexually abused. And now I don't talk about this a ton anymore because I've I've been through a lot of counseling. And if you were to ask me, where was God when that happened? I, I can't give you an honest answer. But I can tell you where he's been since. I can tell you how he has met me in the aftermath. How he has pursued my heart how he's continued to bring healing into my life in an area that I thought would never change, how he's continued to give me hope, but most of all, how he's given me the boldness to share that story with other people. 
And I've seen that give people freedom to share their own experience with me. To say, this has happened to me, and I've never told anyone. And then I get to share the gospel with them and how Jesus really makes a difference there. If this is a part of your story, I would love to listen. If you don't want to talk to a male, I would love to connect you with someone you can talk to. The point is this, your stories, your suffering, all of that, because of God's grace, because of the gospel, God somehow uses those things to bring about good. And as the gospel comes through you, it comes with you. It comes with your stories. And God uses that in a powerful and profound way. Paul's talking about a basic Christian truth. The gospel always comes to us on its way to somebody else. Always. Yet it's this notion of sharing the gospel that's absolutely appalling to some people, isn't it? Evangelism. It might as well be a dirty word. Some would even say this Christian desire to convert others is wrong. You know, you know how it goes. Look, you can have your faith Just keep it to yourself. Don't push your beliefs on other people. And indeed, this would be possible if the gospel was just good advice and not good news. You see, the message of Jesus isn't just a message that makes our lives better, although it does impact our lives. The message about Jesus is fundamentally news about how the world really is. Hence, it can't be relegated to self-help shelves with Oprah in bookstores. It's not a secret affair between you and God. It is a public love affair between God and the world. And yet, in our culture, I think we would much rather buy into this idea of a privatized, keep-it-to-yourself gospel. A few Sundays ago after church, I was at Chipotle. And let's be honest, where else would I be after church? Uh, And while I was waiting in line about... 20 to 30 people flooded the store, and they, um, they made this semicircle, and a protest began inside Chipotle. And trust me, you don't want to get between me and Chipotle. And they were um, vegan animal rights protesters protesting the use of meat at Chipotle. And they were chanting, and they had pictures, and they were handing out leaflets, and they were telling people, I, I couldn't even understand because they were just yelling so loud, but I, I assumed they didn't want me to eat meat. And as a result, I ordered a double portion of meat. <laughs> and I remember sitting down for my meal and thinking, well, that had the opposite effect. They should really reconsider their strategy. Maybe they should keep their opinions to themselves. And then it hit close to home. Is that how Christians are viewed in our evangelism attempts? When I talk about Jesus to someone, do I come across like the, the vegan animal rights protester pushing my views Do I just drive people further from Jesus? And I want to give all of us the benefit of the doubt. I think that most of you, you keep your faith to yourself for the sake of the gospel. You don't want to somehow present Jesus in a way that pushes people further away from Jesus. You don't want to offend or you don't want to make a situation uncomfortable. And it sounds noble at first. Then Paul in Philippians has to go and talk about our motives for sharing the gospel. And our nobility suddenly falls apart. Look at verses 15 through 18. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me 
in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. We get a, a picture into Paul's context here, and it's, it's not pretty. There's a group of people who are preaching about Jesus, but their motives aren't in line with the gospel. They're preaching out of envy and rivalry, uh, out of selfish ambition to inflict Paul and his imprisonment. Now, we don't know much about who this group of people are, other than what Paul says. And and scholars have a bunch of wild theories, but the one thing uh, there's pretty much consensus about is that this group was a group of Christians, which doesn't make it any better, does it? And they felt rivalry and competition towards Paul, and they wanted to make Paul feel afflicted in his imprisonment. And Paul's description isn't good. Envy, rivalry, selfish ambition, these are the same words that appear in Paul's vice lists in uh, other letters. And yet, their desire to inflict Paul, it backfires. Surely he doesn't like what they're doing. And yet, Paul chooses to keep his eyes fixed on the gospel. He says, In verse 18, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Whether in pretense, even if you have terrible motives, Christ is proclaimed, and I rejoice. If you preach him in truth, with love, Christ is proclaimed, and I rejoice. His one desire, his his one goal, what makes his heart beat faster, what fills him with joy, is seeing the gospel advance. And the gospel advanced fundamentally through the proclamation of it, when it is shared, when people talk about it, when people sit down with someone who's never heard the gospel and tell them about the gospel. And when this happens, Paul says, in pretense or truth, he rejoices. Really? Even when people have terrible motives? Yep. Paul is saying that the gospel can advance even despite us. But you might ask, well, what about the content? that's a different issue, isn't it? Often in Paul's letters, he will chastise people at length, quite seriously, for compromising the fundamental message of the gospel. Uh, Paul will not, indeed he cannot, rejoice when the gospel has been compromised in content. Uh, if, If someone comes up to you and starts teaching, yo man, come here, works can save you. No, like no rejoicing. If someone else comes up to you and says, look, look, Uh, Jesus, like, he just raised in the disciples' minds. You know, don't worry about his body getting out of the grave. No, and I've personified these people as as drug dealers because that's what they're doing. I mean, they're trying to push a a more tolerable version of Christianity that has nothing to do with the truth. But what I fear is that we often get what Paul's saying here wrong. We, we look at people who are fundamentally compromising the message of the gospel. And they change it for whatever reasons. And we say, well, at least Jesus is being preached. And some people, they even get mad when Christian leaders call out false teachers. Because we're not being tolerant. Christ himself says it would be better that a millstone be tied around someone's neck than teach a truth that leads people to sin. Paul, he... He's not talking about content here. He's talking about motive. He's talking about people who preach the gospel with impure motives. And if they have impure motives, as long as the content of the gospel remains true, the gospel still moves forward. Because he's saying that the gospel isn't inhibited by bad intentions or sinful intentions or even by sinners. 
Paul's confident that the gospel will move forward even if it comes with our sinful intention because the gospel is always proclaimed through the lips of sinners. And the gospel would advance despite us and with us. But it needs to be proclaimed. In in pretense or in truth, Paul's rejoicing about the gospel being proclaimed. The first person who ever told me the gospel, I don't know, I was 19, uh, he was about like Mars from the sun when it came to like sobriety. Right? This is a very strange situation. I was at a house party. I think this is what you call a rager back then. And uh, he had been drinking a lot. And he was definitely not sober. And the whole night we'd been arguing about the meaning of life because that's what you do when you're 19. And we were getting pretty heated. And he stopped at one point and said, Alistair, one day I hope that you know how Jesus loves you like I know how Jesus loves me. And I remember thinking, this is ridiculous. Like, how can you say that? Look at your life. Look at your, your, you can't even get up off the couch right now. Like, how can you be telling me that God loves you? And at the same time, I've never forgotten that, that simple truth, like that God could love someone even like that. No, obviously, I can't endorse his, his version of evangelism. Please don't adopt that as your model. Um, I only share that to say that the truth of the gospel isn't inhibited by sinful messengers. Because the truth is that the gospel is for the sinful messengers. When we proclaim the gospel, we are just beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. And there's some relief then. If if what Paul is saying is true, that the gospel still advances through people with impure motives, that should give you hope, that it can still advance through people who feel like they don't have all the answers, people who don't feel like they have uh, the knowledge to evangelize or share Jesus with someone. Well, here's the relieving part. The message isn't about you. You're not at the center of the story. All you have to do is share Jesus. If you can talk about Jesus, you can share the gospel. You don't have to have all the right answers. You just have to have Jesus. Because God, um, God is the God who puts us in our circumstances that the gospel might come through us in our, in our situations and with our stories. But there's a challenge too, isn't there? Paul is fundamentally concerned about the gospel being proclaimed. Even if people have selfish ambition behind proclaiming it, even if their self-interest is there. But in our context, I think, in our self-interest, We don't proclaim the gospel. We say, well, I don't want to step on people's toes. I don't want to be in an awkward social setting. I don't want to be disrespectful. But underneath all of that is self-interest. You want to maintain your comfort. You want to maintain your image. You want to maintain uh, not disrupting the status quo. But when you're not sharing the gospel, it is evidence that in in some way you're not allowing the gospel to advance in you. That's not to say that Christ isn't changing your life. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he's transforming your heart. I'm sure he's transforming the relationships in your life. I'm sure good things are happening because Christ is advancing in your life. What I am saying is if your lips are off, uh, off topic for Christ, if he can't touch your lips, you are holding back part of your life. You're holding back an area that Christ does want to advance in your life and through your life. You see, the big question 
is not, will I allow something to advance through my life? The question is, what is advancing through your life? Is it you and your agenda? You know, the things that you like, the things that you find important, whether that's the, the, the God of comfort or the God of um, indulgence. What, what is advancing through your life? Is it you or is it the gospel? Is it Jesus? Let's not be mistaken either. Paul, he would obviously prefer that people proclaim the gospel with pure motives. Yes, we are sinners proclaiming a message of God saving us by grace. Uh, Paul, uh, though, he would certainly prefer it if our lives were in uh, more alignment with the gospel. That if we were people who look more and love more like Jesus, which is why he highlights people proclaiming the gospel from pure motives in verses 15 through 17. He says some proclaim it out of goodwill and out of love. That seems pretty obvious, right? We don't share the gospel out of obligation. We share it out of love. Christ Christ didn't come into the world out of obligation. He came into the world because of love. Christ comes into our lives not out of obligation, but because of love. And he wants that same um, movement for us. He doesn't want us to proclaim the gospel out of obligation. He wants it to be a movement of love, that that we, we see people. And we love them with his heart. I want to ask a simple question as we wrap up. Knowing this truth, that God advances the gospel in us, through us, with us, and even despite us. What's advancing through your life? How's that working out for you? Are you looking for meaning in your suffering? Are you looking for a purpose? How to make sense of your own story and the things that have taken place? Are you you looking for joy? Then we need to allow the gospel to advance in us. We need to receive Jesus and allow him to work through us however he deems fit. And I just want to encourage a openness to Christ advancing through our lives, with our lives, and even sometimes despite of our lives, because that is fundamentally how the gospel moves in this world. And you can listen to the culture all day long in Vancouver that tells you to not proclaim the gospel, but if you buy into that, you are fundamentally disobeying the word of God. I don't know what that will look like for you in your circumstances, in your story, but I do know that God delights in using you and your story and your circumstances because you matter to him. And he crafted your story in a specific way so that specific people can hear the gospel through you. I want to ask you to be open to the gospel advancing through you, through our community.